Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Pastor Mike. Hey, guys, I... Uh, I wish we could be together uh, as uh, as a congregation, uh, you know, just actually there, uh, I, I'm gathering and, and, and worshiping and learning God's Word together. Uh, over the course of the uh, the next few weeks, though, we're going to be having to meet virtually due to the uh, the coronavirus outbreak, and and so uh, bear with me this morning as I'm uh, recording my sermon and, and sharing it with you. Um, I, I pray that that you will uh, benefit from it. I know I certainly have just in the, the study and the, the preparation of it. And so I, I miss you guys. I, I love you guys. I'm praying for you each day. Um, and so uh, let's go ahead and get started. If you have a Bible uh, near you, go ahead and make your way to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 and reading verses 1 through 10. Uh, in just a moment. So while you're you're getting there, let me give you a, a quick recap uh, on where we're at in this series. We've been working our way through the book of Galatians uh, in a series titled Free to Live. And we've been looking at how our faith in Christ sets us free, sets us free to, to, to live as, as God always intended us to live, free from the basic spiritual principles of this world, aestheticism and idolatry, and, and faith in Christ regulates our lives because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We looked at that uh, last time uh, we were together. And, and so this is the point, overall point that Paul is he's making, is that, listen, the law as a means to regulate your life and help you know uh, what is right and what is wrong and which way to turn and how to get things done, how to interact with God and other people, that the law is an insufficient means of, of doing that. And it's, in, it's ineffective uh, as, a, as a behavior management tool, I guess you'd say, uh, because it, it's all external. It's trying to change somebody from the outside in. But we know from experience that uh, just uh, do, being told to do something good is way different than, than actually wanting to do it ourselves. And so Paul is saying that, listen, because of our faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and He gives us the desire to actually want to do good things, want to uh, cultivate Christ-like character in our lives. And so this is where Paul uh, was at in, in chapter 5, and this is where we pick up. He's continuing his conversation in chapter 6 and in talking about how this faith, the faith that we have in Christ, Yes, it, it gives us a freedom, but this faith and this freedom that God gives us was meant to exist in a community. Uh, and so we want to uh, look at this today in greater detail. And I think the, the biggest thing that, that Paul's trying to correct here as he's wrapping up his letter with the Galatians is that our faith was not meant to exist in a vacuum. 
Okay, there's a lot of Christians that unfortunately they view their walk with God as as being well. Yes, it's their walk, but as it's as if it isn't affected by or uh, other Christians' walks, or or they don't have any effect on other people, or or they don't have any role in another person's walk with God, and that just is simply not true. My walk with God affects yours, and yours affects mine to to a certain degree, and and it's we were not meant to just walk this faith out uh, on our own, okay? And and you will see the reasons why uh, as we begin to move through. Galatians chapter 6. So let's take, start taking a look at this. But the main idea is that this faith was designed to exist in a community. Okay, so let's see why. If you're at Galatians chapter 6, let's start in uh, verse 1. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So let's uh, follow along with me, please, as we begin to read. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin. Okay, that's going to happen. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. You know, if you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Verse 4, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. And don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. All right, you know, the very first thing that, that I see here in verse 1 is this uh, idea, if, if another believer is caught in some sin, we who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Now, this phrase translated as caught in any wrongdoing is only used three times in the Bible. And it includes an, ele- uh, an element of surprise to it. There, there are two word pictures, okay, uh, that help define this word, okay. It, the first is it refers to someone who grabs food before someone else has the opportunity. I'm sure all of us have had the oppor- uh, have had that happen to us. We reach out to grab something off the table, and as if by surprise, someone else grabs it before us, and we're kind of like, "Wait, what a second? What, what happened here?" Right, so this is the first idea. The second idea is, uh, or the second word picture that is, is ca- uh, the idea of catching a criminal before they can flee. Right, and so if we put these two word pictures together, I imagine, I imagine the meaning looks something like this. So imagine you're at a party, and from across the room you catch sight of the pizza table, right? And there is some just delicious, probably not pizzas over there. And so you're drawn in 
buy these pizzas and you begin to move your move across the room to get some. Now, as you do, you begin to remember how your wife and your doctor, you know, told you to avoid pizza because hey, your cholesterol's too high. And and but hey, you dismiss these thoughts from your consciousness because this or these right these are very special pizzas and and you, you know what you deserve it besides what your wife and your doctor don't know won't hurt them and so as you move nearer uh, and you just as you reach out your hand to take a piece of this delicious pizza bam the pizza's gone someone else has grabbed it before you and worse yet you're handcuffed to the pizza table and you're like wait what just happened here you try to take the cuffs off, but to no avail. You're, you're stuck, cut, handcuffed to the pizza table, and the only two people you know at the party are, can you guess it, your wife and your doctor. Well, needless to say, it's going to be a pretty long night, all right? And this is exactly what Paul is trying to illustrate here in this phrase, caught in any wrongdoing. Except it's not pizza that's drawing you in. It, it's sin. It's one of the works of the flesh that he lists in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And so the very first thing I learned as I was studying this passage, and the very first thing I want to share with you today is that, that sin is sticky, right? Sin is sticky. Everyone thinks that when they're, when they're drawn in by a sin and they're tempted to sin, everyone thinks that they can get in and get out that no one will know, right? I, I, no one will, will be the wiser. And yet that is simply not true. When we are drawn in by a sin, it, it traps us. It, it handcuffs us. It gets us caught and we can't get out. And so, for some reason, this surprises us, right? This surprises us as if this has never happened to us before. Wait a second, how did I get caught up in this? And yet this is each time we get caught in a, in a habitual sin, it takes us by surprise, right? And, and we, what's uh, uh, unfortunate is that we, when we get caught in it, it's the fear of embarrassment that keeps us caught in it. You know, we don't want to just admit, take a, a moment and admit that we, we, uh, we messed up and that we need help. And yet the second point I think Paul is making here is that freedom from sticky sin is but a few words away right? I think the first step when we get stuck in a sin is to say, oh my goodness, I messed up, right? I messed up and I need help, right? And, and yes, it's hard to admit those words. If we're at the party and, and we're chained to the pizza table and we know we weren't even supposed to be there in the first place, right? And the only two people we know there are our, uh, our spouse and our doctor. And yet we, we have to say, hey, honey, you know, or hey, you know, uh, doc, I'm, I'm messed up, right? That is a hard thing to admit. And yet that would be way better than being chained to the pizza table for the rest of our lives, right? Being free from it is but a few words away. And I think the same is true for us, is that when we get caught in a sin, we get embarrassed by it. Especially some of the things that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Getting caught in some of that stuff, that's embarrassing, right? It's hard to admit that we have an issue with one of those, that we're caught in it. And yet, 
admitting and the embarrassment that we feel, it's, it's not anything compared to having to live caught in a habitual sin. I mean, just take a second and, and imagine, uh, go back to the pizza situation for a minute, and imagine trying to go through your day with a pizza table chained to your wrist. Even if it was just a just like a three foot by three foot card table, right? One of those collapsible, foldable kind where you could tuck the legs up and underneath. Imagine trying to go through your day. I mean, every waking moment with a card table changing your wrist. You get up in the morning, it's there, right? You try to go and brush your teeth, use the restroom, get ready for the day, take a shower, put your clothes on, go to get in your car, go to work, go about your business. Imagine trying to do all of that with a card table chained to your wrist. I mean, it wouldn't be but five minutes before you would be so frustrated, so aggravated, you might just lay on the ground and start crying, right? <laughs> or you might get depressed. You might just literally give up. You might lose all motivation for moving forward because there's no way to get this table off your wrist and going about your business is just just a, an absolute chore. You know what? As silly as that sounds, that's a, how a lot of people are living their lives, except they're not dragging around a card table. They're dragging around a, a habitual sin, something that is so consuming, so distracting. It's it's just about all they can think about. If if they're not thinking about the sin, they're thinking about the guilt that the sin produces. And so being a, a, a parent, being a, a spouse, being a good employee, being a good employer, being a good neighbor or a, a, a member of the congregation becomes just an absolute chore because their mind is somewhere else. I know that you know what I'm talking about because we've all been there, right? We've all been there. We've all been caught in a sin. And rather than just admit that we've messed up and we need help, we just try to cope. We try to just cope with it, right? We just try to cope with it. And this gets old really fast. And it's no wonder that when we get caught in a sin, we're either really grumpy and, and irritable or we're depressed because we just can't hardly function and get through our day with this sin and the guilt that the sin produces weighing down on us. And this is why Paul is saying, listen, the faith that we have in Christ, this walk that, that you are, uh, this, you're, you're walking out, your faith with God, it was never meant to exist in a vacuum. You were never meant to do this on your own. You were meant to walk this faith out as a member of a community because we need one another not only to get unstuck, but we need each other to, rem we need one another to, uh, to remind each other of this truth that, hey, you're not alone. You're not the only one who's ever gone through this. I've been there. And so if you're listening to this this morning and you're like, Pastor Mike, I'm stuck. I'm caught up in something that I'd rather not be caught up in and I'm embarrassed by it. You know, the first step is to admit that you've messed up. Talk to God about it 
And if you need to talk to me about it or talk to a trusted Christian brother or sister, admit, hey, I've messed up. This is what I'm caught in. And you know what? It's going to be hard. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going you're gonna to blush and feel a little odd about it, right? But that th- you're going to start experiencing some freedom in your mind and in your spirit, maybe even in your body, depending on what type of sin you're, uh, you're caught up in. And so I want to encourage you, the very first thing you can do today in response to this sermon is to get free by admitting you've messed up and that you need help, right? And so if you're on that side of it, that's how I want you to apply this sermon this morning. If you're on the other side, okay, go back to the pizza illustration with me for a minute. Maybe you're not the one chained to the table. Maybe you're the spouse. Maybe you're the doctor. You're at the party and, and someone's asking you for help. So how should you respond to that? As a member of the community of faith, how do you respond to someone else when they get stuck? How do you respond to another Christian brother or sister when they call you up and they say, hey, I'm having trouble here. I'm caught up in something and, and, and I am just so aggravated because I don't want to do this, right? But I need some help. I've asked God for help. Now I'm asking you for help. How should you and I respond when we get that, that call, okay? Well, Paul says in verse 3, that we should be willing to help others when they get stuck. He, he, he goes so far as to say, listen, if you think you are too important to help someone else when they get stuck, well then, you know what, you're just deceiving yourself because none of us are that important. I really like how the New King James Version renders this verse. Uh, it says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I learned this verse years ago using the, the New King James Version as the, as the version I was memorizing. And that verse has always stuck with me. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, then he deceives himself. Listen, guys, we are not that special to where when someone calls us and says, Hey, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a sin. And, and, and I need help getting back on the right path. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? Can you, can you be an accountability partner for me? Can you call me once in a while and ask me how I'm doing, right? None of us are, are too far above that. None of us are too important where we can't help one another when we get stuck. You know why? Because you know what? Eventually, we're going to be stuck. Every one of us are going to get stuck once in a while. And we're going to need some help getting out of that situation. We're going to need someone to come alongside of us and encourage us and help us get back on the right path. Again, this is why Paul is saying, hey, we're all in process here. Remember I talked about that in chapter 5? There was at the end there where Paul is is talking about how the Holy Spirit regulates our lives. And you know what? Sometimes we're going to make choices that aren't spirit-led. There's, those choices are going to be f- uh, motivated by the flesh. We're going to give in to temptation. We're going to get stuck in something. And we're going to need another Christian brother or sister to help us out. And when they give us that call, we must not deceive ourselves. We must be honest with ourselves and, re- and remember that, hey... We've been there too. Or if we're not there, 
We will be there again soon, and we're going to need somebody's help to get up and get back on to the right path. And so this is why Paul is saying our faith exists in a community. Now, as he continues moving forward and we get into verse 5, Paul brings up a, a very interesting point here in verse 5. Because in one breath, he says, listen, we should be willing to help one another get up. But as you read verse 5, take a look at that again. He says, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. We see in the very next breath, Paul say, listen, yes, we need to help one another up. We need to bear each other's burdens. And, and by doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, right? By doing so, we, we act as Christ would, right? We all have been a recipient of Christ's help. Right? He has humbly and gently restored us when we were caught in sin. He didn't treat us as we deserved. He, he humbly and gently brought us up out of that miry clay, brought us up out of that habitual sin, set our feet on the rocks to stay, helped us develop new habits and, and a new way of living, a very productive and enjoyable way of living. Because of that, we should do the same for uh, one another, right? We should respond to uh, each other as Christ has responded to us. And yet in the next breath, Paul is saying, well, listen, we're each responsible for our own conduct. And I, when I first read that, I thought, wow, that's like, it's almost as if he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. And yet, as I thought about it, I realized that Paul was saying, yes, help one another up, but don't pass the blame for your actions on to anyone else. That's what he's getting at here. Yes, we are responsible for helping one another up, but we're not going to blame our, the, uh, the consequences for our actions or our choices on someone else. I, I've heard so many people, it's very common, and I'm sure you have too, they say, well, the devil made me do it, right? The devil made me do it. The devil didn't make us do anything, right? He might have put some temptation in our way. He might have uh, 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 told us a lie or convinced us of, of something, uh, but he didn't make us do anything. We chose to go to that proverbial uh, uh, pizza table. We chose to take a step towards that temptation. We chose to reach out. We chose to participate in that. And so as a result, we should take responsibility, Paul is saying, for our choices. And furthermore, as he continues on in verse 8, we should expect some consequences for our actions. Listen, as I, I mentioned before in previous sermons, when we say, hey, I messed up, I messed up and I need help, you know, and we say that to God or we say that to others and we ask for forgiveness, you know, and we take responsibility and say, yeah, I made that choice. That was a bad choice, right? That's great. And we're forgiven and we can experience uh, a freedom from that guilt, that weighs down on us, all that guilt we're carrying around, dragging around with us because we're caught up in habitual sin. When we say, hey, I messed up. God, please forgive me. That was a poor choice. 
You know, I, I did. I shouldn't have done that. Well, that guilt lifts off our consciousness. That guilt lifts and we're set free. But that just because we have a clean conscience doesn't mean that there are any consequences to our actions, right? If you look back at this list in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, just look at some of these things here. If you get caught up in impurity or sexual immorality or you, you uh, we, I'll say we, if we have a, a, an affair, for instance, if we have an affair, you know, and we go and we, we tell our spouse that we're sorry and, and we tell God that we're sorry. And, and even if they forgive us, there are still consequences to that act, to those actions. I mean, that affair might lead to a divorce. You know, our spouse has a biblical uh, reason at that point to divorce us. There might be consequences in terms of, of children, perhaps that, that, that affair produced children. I mean, there, there are consequences for our actions. Um, you look down that list. Uh, envy, drunkenness, outbursts of anger, quarreling, wild parties, right? There are always consequences for our actions. So even though we have a clean conscience, even though we've taken responsibility for our, our actions, for our choices, there may be consequences for those things that continue on into the future, which is why in, Paul, in verse 8, Paul says, um, let's look at that together. He says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. You will harvest what you plant. If you sow to the flesh, if you allow the flesh to dictate and regulate how you live your life, right, you will experience some consequences because of those choices. But if you live to please the Spirit, you will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And so it works both ways. If we allow the Holy Spirit to regulate our lives more often than not, then as a whole, we're going to reap the benefits of that, right? We're going to reap the good consequences of that. And so we see here, Paul is saying, listen, your faith exists in a community. Everyone gets stuck. Everyone gets stuck. And freedom from that, that sticky sin starts with admitting that you've messed up and asking for help. And when you ask for help, and when we're on the other side of that, and someone ask, is asking us for help, we need to respond and help them out, right? We need to help them out. Now, when we're getting out of that situation, we, yes, we can experience a clean conscience, right? But there may be some consequences for those actions as we move forward, right? And so if we're not the one experiencing those consequences, but we're observers and we're helping others, humbly and gently helping others, then we realize that, hey, that, that's part of it, right? That's part of it. I have consequences for my actions. You have consequences for your actions, things that you're carrying forward, even as we together continue to walk out our faith, right? And so this produces a certain level of understanding with one another. It produces, it should at least produce a certain amount of, of grace and, and of compassion with one another. I'm living out with, I'm 
living out my walk with, with consequences from actions. You're living out your walk with consequences from actions. And, and fortunately, over time, those consequences tend to fade and even disappear, right? Uh, but we're walking this out together. This is a normal, normal walk. I think the, the big takeaway for us here as we consider how we're living this, this faith in a community is that none of us are perfect. None of us have, have ever, uh, or all of us, I should say, have, have gotten stuck. And so we need to have a, a, a certain amount of vulnerability with each other as we, as we walk out this faith, right? Yes, I, I'm a pastor. Yes, I am an example. Yes, I, I am um, uh, uh, called to live to a higher standard than most, but that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm perfect, right? Yes, you, you are a Christian. You're, you're walking out. Some of you have been walking with the Lord longer than I've been alive, but that doesn't mean that, that you're perfect. That doesn't mean you're never tempted or never give in to, to, to sin once in a while. And so this produces a certain amount of, uh, of understanding between us, a certain amount of compassion and grace for one another. You know, as we, as Paul wraps up uh, his his thoughts here uh, in in chapter six, you know, I, I want to give give you a couple of uh, of steps, next steps to take, things to think about as as you move forward. And, and so, uh, let's let me look at the the first step here. Okay, the first step is found in, in verse 1, and that's to maintain healthy boundaries when helping someone caught in sin. In, in Galatians 6.1, Paul says, And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Listen, when, when someone, uh, a Christian brother or sister, gets caught up in a sin, and they call you for help, right? Yes, you want to respond. You want to be there for them as, as much as you can. But when you go into that situation, Paul is saying, listen, don't get caught up in that yourself. Maybe, maybe you're not even the very best person to help that person with the sin, right? Think about someone who, um, let's say someone that's caught up in pornography calls you, but you yourself really are struggling with pornography as well. Well, you might not be the very best person to help that Christian brother or sister through that, that situation. Why? Because you're either struggling with it or, or have, you know, you might be <laughs> really tempted by it, right? And so maybe you recommend someone else say, hey, man, I'm right there with you. And, and you know what? How about we reach out to so-and-so? I, I'm pretty sure they, they don't struggle with this uh, like, like we do. They can help us. Okay, so Paul is saying, listen, a certain amount of uh, uh, when you step into a situation to help a Christian brother or sister get unstuck, there's a certain amount of of messiness that will occur. You might get exposed to some things that you'd rather not get exposed to. Okay, you're going to get your hands a little bit dirty. That's normal. That's to be expected. Right. And, and, And yet Paul is saying just just maintain that healthy boundary. Don't go so far into it that you yourself get stuck. I think that that, that's your first step, 
Okay, something your first thing to keep in mind. The second step I want to give you is found in verse 4. And that is, let's look at that. It says, pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. The second step uh, that you can take is to pay attention to your own walk. Pay attention to your own walk. Right? If... If you pay attention to your walk and I pay attention to my walk, then then I think we're going to be okay. Okay, I think we're going to do just fine. I think we've, we fall into trouble when we either take responsibility for someone else's walk and we try to be the Holy Spirit for them and try to, try to uh, um, uh, control them, I guess you'd say, right? Or we fall into trouble when we compare ourselves to other people, right? Well... What I, I'm struggling with might not be what you're struggling with and vice versa. And as I said before, you know, hey, if, I, if I'm not struggling with what you're struggling with, I may get conceited. Or if, if uh, I'm struggling with something that you're not and I compare myself with you, then I might get de- depressed. I may get down and discouraged. And yet Paul's saying, listen, pay attention to your own walk. Okay, don't compare yourself to others. Don't worry about others. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit for someone else. Take care of yourself. And in doing so, you will become an example for others. And you will position yourself to help others when they call. Because you're not stuck in anything, right? You're not stuck. You're not caught up in an habitual sin. And so when someone else is and they call you for help, you're going to be able to help them. And so he's saying, listen, pay attention to your own walk. Be an example to other people. So the first step, maintain healthy boundaries when someone or when helping someone caught in sin. The second step is pay attention to your own walk. And the third step is found in verse 10. Look at that with me. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. The third step is this. Do good to everyone whenever you have the opportunity. Do good to everyone whenever, whenever you have the opportunity. If you're paying attention to your walk and you're being a good example and someone calls you and you get down and you help them up, what you are really doing is you are building equity in that relationship. There's no better way to build good feelings uh, and, and a positive uh, um, morale with, uh, with other people than helping them when they're down. Okay? I want you to think about that for a second. When someone is down and in need, and you get down there and you help them up, you meet that need, you're there, you're that listening ear, that shoulder to cry on. What you are doing is you are building some equity in that relationship, which is like kind of like a bank account. It's kind of like, you know, you can draw on that good, that good relationship you have, what you have with that person when you yourself are in need. When you yourself stumble, you will be able to call that person and say, hey, I need a little help here. And they will be willing to help you because you help them, right? This whole, that whole idea of, of, of being a good neighbor. I, I help you, you help me, and, and there's this positive 
this positive relationship, this flow back and forth, this exchange of, of, of help and, and resources. And so Paul is saying, listen, your faith was meant to exist in a community. If you try to walk out your faith in a vacuum and you, and you get stuck or you fall, you get off the, the, the right path and under the wrong path and you have no equity in any of your relationships, who are you going to call for help? Who are you going to call and ask to, hey, I need some help getting back on the right path. You won't have anybody. And so living free in community means building up some equity in our relationships, helping others when they get down, maintaining our, our own example so that we're in a position to help in the first place, right? And as, as we do those things, we are going to advance as a group forward in our faith. And this is exactly what Paul wants. This is exactly what Paul is saying God has always intended for the church to do. This is how God wants a congregation to move forward. Not as a, a group of pretentious people who, per, who are posing like, like they're perfect, a bunch of pretenders. No, a bunch of people walking forward, taking responsibility for their actions, helping one another when they get stuck, keeping one another on that right path, doing all that they can to help one another when they're in need, and moving forward. And this is exactly what I want uh, uh, for Cornerstone Church. This is exactly how I want us to relate to one another. And, and if there's ever a time uh, for us to, to do this, it's now. I know that we can't gather. It's hard. I miss cookie fellowship. I miss talking with you before and after service. I miss worshiping with you. And it, it's hard that we can't do that right now. But yet, you know what? We all have phones. We all have email. We all have ways to communicate. And, and so now in this, in this crisis, as we wait out uh, this pandemic, uh, we need to be reaching out to one another. We need to be praying for one another. Uh, over the course of the, the next few weeks, you're going to get a call from me. Uh, I'll try to call as many people as I can uh, and, and just say, hey, how are you doing? What can I pray for you about? And I'll tell you, hey, you could pray for me about these things. And, and we're going to help one another continue to move forward despite the fact we cannot, cannot gather uh, for a few more weeks. And so I, I hope you've gotten something from this sermon today um, and, and, and from this entire series as we, we have learned about the freedom that, that our faith in Christ gives us. So let me, let me close in prayer this morning. Father, I just thank you so much for the people of Cornerstone Church. I, I love them. I miss them. Uh, and I, I, I can't wait till we get the opportunity to gather again. I pray that you would just strengthen them in their families, strengthen them in their work. God, meet their needs. Help us to meet one another's needs in this time. We just look to you today, God. Keep us free in the faith 
uh, that, that comes from uh, our faith in Christ. We, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the work you've done and how the Holy Spirit is regulating our lives. Let us remain free, uh, free to live uh, uh, above the, the basic spiritual principles of this world. And so we thank you for this. And I, I just pray a special prayer over, over those in our, our community, those that are uh, either sick or those who are just gripped with fear. Uh, I, I pray that you would bring healing, bring freedom from this fear, bring people to Christ in the midst of this time. Let people feel their need for faith in Jesus and let us be available to meet those needs, that spiritual need, that, that, that felt need, Lord. Help us as a as a as a, a community, as a congregation, to meet the needs in our community. And so, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey guys, I love you. We'll be in touch. Have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.